This fire is the power of love and forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of love and forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of love and forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of This is the wrap-up, end-of-the-year reflection episode where I'm going to go over all the different layers and parts of this difficult, magical, mysterious year. To begin, I'm going to read the opening um, from something that's been very close to my heart this year. Tree of life, you are seared stump and seed, weaver and stoneworker. You spin the thread of life and carve the channel through to death. Womb of ice and sun, you can scatter snow and melt the fish ponds. Gate and boundary, you are a door to the stars and a wall between atoms. You are the dance floor and the eulogy. From umbilical cord to umbilical cord, you weave. You are the skin we wrap around our hollows, and you are the marrows of our bones. You are the infused oil of memory and the blood that forgets again, again, again. You flow through us when we bathe the child and dip the bride and wash the dead. In all the worlds, we say your name. A depth of above and a depth of below, a depth of east and a depth of west, a depth of north and a depth of south, and the holy shrine in the center. And this is the opening of the uh, Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Prayer Book, which has been my guide this past year in so many ways. I want to start with, I have in my hands this pile of stickies. Um, <clears throat> to read to you, and it actually is going to kick off this episode. So I'm calling this episode Tears and Naps because these are the themes for me of 2020 were so many tears and so many naps. And I believe um, for healing and for integration that actually both of those things are needed. We have to release the emotion. We have to release the stagnation. We have to release what's inside of us. We have to grieve. We have to mourn. We have to, tears are a good sign of planting the seeds of the future. And I also believe that rest is the path. Rest is the key. Rest is, is such an important, important piece of the integration process. So this year for me was a year of tears and naps. And my words of the year that I wrote out on these little cards um, around this time last year were, and I'm looking at them right now, but these are the words, sacred, divinity, pilgrimage, illumination, and follow the red thread. And um, my goodness, did those come alive in different ways? And we'll talk more about that. But 
as part of this 2020 recap, this personal and intimate reflection, I'm going to share with you how this past year was for me. Um, and I'm going to start with this phases of, or start again, another layer of it, are these phases of 2020. And so I really, when I was looking back and reflecting, I finished the um, the first round of Unravel Your Year, the guidebook that I use from Susanna Conway each year. And I don't do all of the pieces. I only do the ones that really feel good and aligned and interesting to me. And so I've been doing it little by little over the past, uh, since it came out. And finish that up this morning. And I could so clearly see these phases of 2020. And so I'm going to start with the first phase, which was the pre-pandemic phase. So this was from January until March. And in the pre-pandemic phase, I was already setting the intention that it was going to be a rather powerful year. The um, little vision board that I made, it's not really a vision board. It's kind of like a little creative art piece I made during our Nourish retreat last January says heart on fire. Um, and so I'm looking at that uh, right now. And yes, definitely heart and soul on fire this year. So <laughs> during this pre-pandemic phase, we had the Nourish retreat in January in West Virginia. And the little stickies I was telling you about earlier, they were from what the women in that in that, on that retreat wanted 2020 to look like. 2020, I want to bring more joy and compassion for self and family. 2020, peace, love, tranquility. 2020, play, trust, faith, unconditional love. Daily, joyful movement, curiosity, freedom, new beginnings. Cultivate my art and creativity confidence and connection, oops, confidence, positive assumptions, forgiveness, less judgment, change is an opportunity and okay, cultivate my well-being and peace, peace, purpose, meditate, actualizing the way I want to be and live in the world and glorious. So it was so beautiful to go back and see those intentions set from that phase. Um, from January to March last year, I had um, new courses that I was teaching, a new course I was teaching at AU that was really interesting on the intersection of race and community at AU. And we were um, excited about planning Sailor's 12th birthday um, as she transitioned last January to a new school. So the pre-pandemic phase last year for me was very much around kind of simple home, um, you know, home ritual, taking care of Sailor as she had made that transition, starting the new semester off and uh, leading that beautiful retreat in, in January with Allison Tepper. Okay, so now we move into the March to June, which is the broken foot phase. So in March, um, shortly after the pandemic started, I fell and broke my foot. Um, it was probably a week into it, I want to say. And it was also the day that we started a what turned out to be 20-week um, book study group of uh, The Power of Now and a New Earth. Um, very interesting energetic day the day i broke my foot and started this book book study group um i broke my foot uh four years ago when i closed the studio almost to the exact season and time um almost in the exact same place and the first time i learned a lot about rest and sabbatical and movement and this time I learned a lot about joy and pleasure in the present moment. And I did not experience a tremendous amount of pain with this foot break. It was more just discomfort. And I absolutely, um, obviously do not wish pain and suffering or broken bones on anybody. Um, and just speaking from my own lived experience, the broken foot phase was really, really marvelous. I was able to um, lay here and be with my family and take care of myself and read and rest and slow way down. Um, and I believe that I 
kind of always need that reminder. Do you? I mean, I think a lot of us do. Um, and even when I think I'm slowing down, I'm still, I'm, I'm still so excited about life <laughs> and all it offers that I'm interested in more or interested in moving. And I love exercise and I love movement. And I'd had a good long stretch of, of doing it so consistently and it felt so good. And breaking my foot again, just I just learned so much. I also, during the broken foot phase, had a very profound um, consciousness, uh, other realm type of connection to my inner voice due, due to some uh, communities and work that I was doing on the inner voice certification process. And having a number of sessions with practitioners and um, with myself. And so it was an extremely powerful portal to um, what would turn out to be a much deeper, richer year of integration and this sacred marriage that came up all year for me in terms of divine feminine and divine masculine. So that was where it planted the seeds, you know, really during the broken foot phase was really the the kind of taking me out of the game of life. And I know it was doing that for everybody because that's when quarantine was happening. But I was in a bubble of you can't go anywhere anyway or do anything anyway anyway because of the broken foot. And so I just really completely surrendered to that and paid attention to what was right in front of me. And that was really powerful. Um, and emotions as they went through and being able to work with them and being able to feel feel them as they were moving through and to feel the challenges and difficulties, not bypassing them, but using consciousness and inner voice connection and intuition to guide that period in time. There's a lot of gratitude in my journals from those times of just presence and acceptance, really. So then June, we move into the race reckoning phase. And this is after obviously the murder of George Floyd and the uprooting and dismantling of white supremacy and racism in this country that is still, there is still a lot of work to be done. Let me be clear, we're not anywhere near the finish line. Um, and I think during this phase, the race reckoning phase, not only did I have powerful conversations with other activists and racial justice, um, people that I um, trust, love, respect, and had some really, really deep and profound and transformative conversations um, a lot of old trauma coming to the surface in terms of past race work that I had done and some personal experiences that I had, um, lots of being on the street and yelling, um, hands up, don't shoot, um, Black Lives Matter. There was, it was such an incredibly potent and powerful and emotional time, um, going back through a lot of the work I had done in my undergrad and graduate around race, um, going, reconnecting with a bunch of my students from when I was a elementary school teacher, connecting with my AU students. It was just a connecting time specifically about race. And it has been such an important part of my um, personal and professional life for so many years in so many different ways that um, this was a time where there was a so many conversations and people were riled up and wanting to learn. And I, I just really hope if you're listening to this, that you are continuing your learning too, just like I am. I just finished reading the, when they call you a terrorist, the Black Lives Matter memoir. I can't recommend it enough. It's so incredible. Patrice's book, it's so beautiful. Oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. Um, I hope every human reads it. But I, I hope that people still feel as fired up and passionate. Um, I'm just coming out of about a week, like 11, 10 or 11 hours, a week-long training at AU on the race and community class that, that is mandatory that I'm so, so grateful to be a part of this um, instructional team. And we have a lot of work to do, and I feel so 
lucky and excited about working in this environment and teaching and talking to our youth and our future leaders about these topics. So June to August was the race reckoning phase. Then we move into August to October, and this is truly, truly the spiritual deepening phase. This is when I had my first Kohenet retreat. Um, Kohenet is a Hebrew priestess training program run by um, female rabbis who are now, who have created 15 years ago, a Kohenet Hebrew priestess training program, community, spiritual community, prayer community, um, and really, really a revolutionary uh, Jewish community for um, women and people who identify as win women. We're very gender fluid in that sense, but there is a connection to Shekinah, God, or God, you know, God as goddess or divine feminine energy. There's lots of different ways to talk about this. This is not a Kohenet talk, um, but my my Kohenet retreat in August is really what just kind of. Fan the flame of spiritual deepening connection practice, which took me right into the high holidays, the most powerful and potent um, time that I've had yet with my Jewish practice and my Jewish traditions. And it was incredible, incredible time of listening and acting. Um, I really consider myself an observant Jew at this point. I am not religious, quote unquote. I don't even quite know what that means. I'm reading this book right now called Why Religion, which is talking about a little bit about why people choose or don't choose religion. And oh, I love these conversations. I've been looking at seminary and looking at um, uh, like a degree in theology, but those, those are not for me. I want to have those conversations and talk about what is spirituality, what is religion. But for me, I'm able to really stand right now at the end of 2020, turning towards 2021, that I'm feeling really observantly Jewish in terms of ritual, ceremony, calendar, season, cycle, language, um, archetypes, just all of these incredible incredible ways um, that I'm learning about my own history and deepening my well of wisdom and knowledge to share. So not necessarily a religious Jew, but definitely observant as I'm moving forward. And, and really that just feels so good because I've been observant in a long, for a long time of a lot of other traditions, which I'm going to talk about in a little, but um yeah, so that was really the spiritual deepening phase. And then there was this phase, which I'm still in right now, which is called the integrative family phase. And this is where all those different pieces from the year feel like they are now kind of braided and weaving together into, into either like a scarf or a bracelet, like something that now I'm seeing how it all makes sense. Like I'm seeing how it weaves together. I'm seeing how the pre-COVID phase um, of sort of this like normal quote unquote life led to the foot, you know, breaking the foot, the racial reckoning, like all of the different layers have come together in this last phase from October to December. And I will say that I've experienced um, in this last phase, some of the highest highs and lowest lows of my adult life. And um, in this integrative family phase, I have tasted the sweetness of ordinary life and relationship in, in what feels like a different operating system, like being able to cook a meal and sit by a fire and truly see my family and truly allow them to see me and bring my full humanness, um, flaws and anger and sadness and, and joy and laughter and dance and bringing that all into the room um, feels really different. Feels like my nervous system has it is in the process of deeply recalibrating and, and orienting towards a new way of being for this next stage of my life. And I can feel that happening. Thus the tears and the naps, thus 
um, the intensity of this year, um, feeling the feels of the collective anxiety and depression and sadness and this incredible meaningful work that I have the privilege of doing every single day with real humans in real life. It's just really magical and mysterious to me. Um, and I, um, have been sharing about my life now publicly for 13 years since I was pregnant with Sailor. She's about to be 13. So actually 14 years, because it was the year before when I started the blog, really. Um, but I know that sharing stories is part of our healing path. I know that us being together um, is, is, it's just really important. So that integration phase is live. I'm still I'm, I feel like I'm maybe coming towards the end of it, but I don't really know. And so I can't talk um, retrospectively about that quite yet. Some of the threads that were in each phase that I want to bring up were that there were times throughout the year in these big topics that were being presented, political, health, and race are three I'm going to talk about where I just want to say that I have a tendency because of a lot of things to fall into certain categories on theories and systems and beliefs in race, health, and politics. And this year, I learned how to see, observe myself being so tightly wound and attached to my beliefs, and then inviting myself to learn more about the other, quote unquote. And so an example is, you know, anything far left, anything far right. I did some reading and listening about what's underneath that. Um, anything around the conspiracy theories, what's underneath that? What is, where is this coming from? Who is saying this narrative? Who is benefiting from this narrative? Um, in terms of race theory, finding um, different voices, different people who were saying, um, you know, a variety of things that were not the same thing that I was being fed on my Facebook feed or in my family, um, but really trying to open myself up to the really uncomfortable places, the discomfort of other opinions, beliefs, and value systems, um, especially around learning more about QAnon, anti-vaxxers, um, and really all of this curiosity came from, because of conflict and relationship, um, because of, I'm such a questioner. It was like, I would see people holding on to something so tightly, and then I would develop a belief that was the opposing one and hold on to it so tightly. And I don't think that's the way forward. I want to deepen relationship. I want to look for complexity and nuance. That's why I want to slow down enough so I'm not just running on autopilot of trauma or inherited beliefs from ancestors. So I really, really wanted to avoid all the various forms of bypass that are around there. And I found myself seeking other ideas and pushing myself to the edge of that, listening deeply and walking the edge of what is true, what is not true, what am I rejecting? What am I accepting? What might be the reason someone thinks this? And um, I found myself, you know, fluctuating between these binaries in lots of ways. I did this in yoga also, where I heard myself so many times this year say, I'm not a yoga teacher, you know, really rejecting the systems of yoga because I'm embarrassed and ashamed of a number of things about my own um, belief system and practice within that tradition. And now as it's kind of settling, I'm finding myself inviting yoga back into my heart and into my home and allowing that 20 years of study to, of course, be here. Of course, it's highly, highly inspires and has impact and is so deeply woven into everything I believe, teach, feel, um, and work with. So inviting the parts home, letting go of what no longer serves and inviting in. Um, a big a big theme for this year, which I think is probably for a lot of us, was returning to memories of past, right? Like 
past traumas came up, past relationship issues came up, things that were under the carpet came up for everybody, things that were already shitty kind of in a lot of ways got worse for people, things that things that were on the way to getting better, maybe some of that got better. Um, I don't know, you know, this, it, it was so interesting to me this year to see, especially looking back on the whole year, how many pieces of my history um, came sort of into the forefront, into the foreground and became a big part of this year. There was one, and speaking of that, there was one post that I did on social media that had a tremendous amount of um, uh, what, engagement, is what it's called, uh, where people shared, spoke not necessarily shared, but um, people commented and uh, were engaged with it. And here's the post. And it's a picture of me. I remember this night so well. I was just about to lead a women's circle. I was feeling so goddessy and alive and oh, just feeling so vibrant. So here's the post with this, with this picture. This was not a given. When I was 17, I was told I would always suffer from bipolar. I was told I would probably always be medicated and unstable. And let's just say I like to push back when people tell me what I can and cannot do. I have been off meds for 22 years. And by the way, I do not blame or shame people that are on them. It was just not the path for me. And I have found that if I stay very, very close to creating things, writing, podcast, art, singing, dancing, and I stay in intimate relationship with mama nature, and I prioritize community care circles, then I'm able to contribute and serve and share, which then helps me feel better and better. And then I can show up as a parent, friend, teacher, human in a more integrated way. I know that in order for me to feel alive and awake in my life, I have to always be learning and growing, enrolled in classes, connected to authentic dialogue, meaningful conversations around humanity like race, money, death, ancestors, marriage, layering that with music and walking and intuitive movement. I don't always have to respond in a trauma response way. I don't always have to isolate when I feel lost or lonely. Yes, sometimes my creativity gets a little manic. Sometimes the floodgates of ideas and inspiration energy are hard to hold on to. But finding a place to channel them that does not harm others or myself has been life-changing. I can't lay around and watch TV like other people or take too many days off from teaching and learning and sharing. Otherwise, the darkness starts to pull me under. I can't smoke pot, eat junk food regularly, or drink as much as others seem to, or that does it too. I just wanted to share openly about my winding path with mental health and hope that we can all share our stories around normalizing mental wellness and wrap our arms around each other in the days ahead. Reach out if you want to connect. I'm always here. Okay, so part two. So as I shared, I had the social media post about mental health and it just feels so aligning to share honestly with the experience. And I had a number of wonderful, wonderful conversations and deepening of relationships based on that post, people reaching out, messaging me, um, and I'm still in conversation with a number of people about it. It's clear to me that in the future, I'm going to write um, and really hold, I really want to keep talking about mental wellness, mental health, mental illness, and all of these intersections. I watched that TV show Undone, which is kind of animated and live. I highly recommend it. Um, but just things that I, I feel, I've always felt extremely passionate about talking about mental health. So let's keep doing that together. Okay. Let's keep talking. Let's keep sharing. Let's keep being open, not in a judgment way, but in a way of sharing what works for us and why and how, because there is no such thing as normal or the one way we have to all create or compose or draft our own life plan and path based on what's right in front of us. So kind of layering on with that is um, we did, so now I'll kind of talk about social media is like I left Instagram pretty much the minute that COVID happened. I was like, yeah, this is not a place I want to hang out. Left Instagram. I was only on Facebook and Instagram, both professionally and personally. 
And so I left Instagram for both personal and professional. And then I basically left Facebook professionally. I mean, it's there. I just, again, haven't posted anything, but then was very active and have continued to be very active on Facebook personally. I have absolutely loved it. Sharing articles, resources on race, health, you know, all the amazing stuff I'm doing with the college kids and that my colleges are doing AU and it's just been wonderful to connect with friends and family. And I've been making a lot of playlists, as some of you know. Um, so sharing the playlist there and invitations to our Lola conversation. So anyway, it's been really fun to be on Facebook for me. And I know for a lot of other people, it's not. So, you know, please do what's right for you. And at some point, being on Facebook personally, if it doesn't feel good to me, I will get off. And that's just kind of how it goes. So that's what I invite you to do is like, look for the places where it feels fun and let go when it's not. Cause I think social media, you know, again, it's kind of such a big thing for people that life is too short to be part of something that you hate. I just, I hear people put down Facebook all the time and I get it. I watched um, the social dilemma. I'm very aware of what's going on behind the scenes, but they don't, I feel they don't own me. They're not the boss of me. Like I love it when I get to be with you all and see my friends and family and, like share good things. But if it ever doesn't feel that way, then I'll just leave. And I've done that before. And you can do that too. So I just share that kind of boundary. Okay, next up is the business model. So in January of last year, before pandemic, I sent a note to Nikki, our website um, director kind of just saying, hey, we're going to be revamping. Here's some of the ways um, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my business model. I was in a, a stage of curiosity and questioning. And then when the pandemic hit and people were losing jobs and everything was on, on standby and there was so much fear and anxiety, I pulled down the pricing model that we had been using for years. And I just opened everything up to sliding scale, pay what you can. This fall, I created the optional low-cost membership for ongoing support. So for people who love the podcast or love the Lola community online in our Mighty Network, which is our social network, um, it's a quieter, more intentional uh, social network, um, which is free for everyone to join. Um, I dismantled all of the big pricing models that had been traditionally in coaching. And when I got into Kohena in April, in May, and I've done a podcast on this, I really turned, I've really turned my life's mission and purpose towards clergy in terms of service. I'm here, I'm there, I'm getting clearer and clearer and stronger and stronger in what my soul's purpose and mission is this life. And it's about bringing these wisdom traditions, the healing traditions, the ceremony, the ritual, Shabbat, rest, renewal. Like this is what I'm here to do is to teach this and share this and invite people in and hold space for it, not really hold space, to connect with others around this and to model it as a way of life. Um, and that's what I'm here to do. So for me, having like $3,000 price coaching models, like that kind of stuff feels really outdated. It doesn't feel good. Um, and that's just where I was with it. So we pulled down the model changed it and really turning towards service, the intersection of justice and spirit and evolution and like earth-based practices, right? Bringing it into our actual life, in our relationships, not to leave marriages and, and leave relationships, but to be in them, to help us move through these most sacred lives that we have. That's the, that to me is like just the nectar, right? And that's what Ayurveda does. And that's what this embodied Judaism, feminist Judaism does, at least from my perspective or how I, how I choose to share it. Part of this has been, I've had this, I've had all these words for this Ayurveda book and I kept sitting with it. And Thanks to all the people who helped with editing. We had a number of people, but I could not put it out. And I, towards the end of the summer um, or fall, I read an article about appropriation in yoga, in, sorry, in Ayurveda. And I realized that's why, like, I didn't, I don't actually want those teachings, the way that they had come through me and come to me 
to be in book form. They were, they are letters to my children. That's the format. And for me, I, they, they're, they're asking to be more creative. They don't want to be a quote unquote Ayurveda book on Ayurveda or book about teaching Ayurveda. There are so many great, my bookshelf is literally full of those. If you want any recommendations, I have tons of amazing Ayurvedic um, books that you can go to and read and learn from and integrate from wonderful, wonderful practitioners who've devoted their whole life to this. Um, and I realized like, I just, that's not what this creation is. So as painful as it was to take this book that I had basically spent 18 months putting together and dismantle it and create something new, um, that's what's happening. So not only was it kind of like a dismantling of the business model, inviting, we created Lola ambassadors, which are people who've been part of the community who are now welcoming new people, but allowing other people to teach and kind of have a more sustainable equitable sharing model so we can be around for a while without it all being on my shoulders mm. and seeing how that feels. It's kind of envisioning a new, a new way of operating and we'll see um, what the future holds on that more to come on this for sure. Um, I'll share more in the future, but I did want to bring up the painful part of working on a project for 18 months and then saying, Nope, I can't share. This is not right. Um, and in sort of the other side of that, because I think it's really important to be uh, transparent about finances, is I had to find other stable income, right? I can't just take down my business model where I was making a lot of money <laughs> uh, through coaching and wellness packages. I can't say, okay, I'm not going to take money for this anymore. Here's my scheduling link, and which is still open. Like everybody is welcome to schedule sessions with me at pay what you can sliding scale model. Like that's, that's just what I want to do now for the spiritual teaching for spiritual guidance for Ayurvedic teachings. Like I believe everybody should have access to those. I do not believe it should be behind a very high paywall right now um, is I had to look for more adjunct teaching in order to have some stability and also spaciousness like Lola community spiritual community, creativity, all of that to me needs steadiness and foundation um, and and sort of flow. And so that needs spaciousness and steadiness. So I was able to add another adjunct class um, and that feels really good. Okay, last two parts. So I have a duh part of this reflection. And what I mean by that is, did you go through anything this year that became such a realization to you? And you were like, oh my goodness. But it's kind of like, duh, like everybody else could have seen that, but it was an insight or a reflection that you had that you had never put the pieces together. So my duh of this year is that I have always been praying, right? Like my obsession with yoga tradition, the Vedic tradition, yoga, Ayurveda, um, and actually Zen Buddhism when I was in a Zen Buddhist community um, was about prayer and ritual and blessing. I just loved it so much. Um, when you listen to the playlist from these years, everything is chanting divine goddess, God, spirit, source, you know, abundance, gratitude, goddess, it's just everywhere. Like I think of Jay Ma, Parashakti, like all these songs, all of these chants, all these mantras. I think of the first time I was in a kirtan, I walked into the room and my whole body lit up. I felt alive for like literally the first time. Um, in Ayurveda, I don't teach clinical Ayurveda. I love to share lifestyle Ayurveda, which means talking about Dharma and true nature and what's the meaning of life and who we are and why we're here. So the duh moment is that these prayer, praise, blessings, gratitude, presence, and sort of way that I approach life very naturally, which is with awe and wonder, like is not only in the 20 plus years of yoga tradition that I've been studying and teaching, but of course it's in Kohenet and in my Jewish tradition, right? Like I had separated them. I had made Judaism this thing 
that was over there in the corner that I don't relate. These are the stories I told myself. I don't relate to it. That's not for me. Like I could go on and on with kind of my rejection of it. And it wasn't until I started seeing new ways that Judaism was in the world that I started feeling alive and connected um, as you know, with the songs and the prayers and the chants, and I say, as you know, because I've been sharing them up a storm for the past nine months, um, and like finding the song in my body, in my soul, and here's the duh in my language, right? Like in Hebrew, um, I know this. I lived in Israel. I was a very devout spiritual seeker my whole life, like pre-yoga. I would sit in temple with my grandma and love the songs. I went to Jewish camp over the summers and would sing and dance. I loved it so much. I loved everything about being Jewish. And I'm going to do a longer uh, episode about faith and connections. But I just want to say that my duh moment is I noticed this year, like I told you earlier, this deep rejection of and shame around like how deep I was in yoga culture, tradition, chanting, mantra, meditation, and using um, Sanskrit and Pali from Buddhism like as a path of healing and vibration. And I want to say that it's not actually that different than what I'm doing in Kohenet and what my vigor and valor for um, Kohenet and Jewish spirituality and Jewish mysticism is now. Um, it feels more like all the parts are coming home, like all the history of before I got into yoga is now also invited here. So when I go to pray every morning, which let me be clear is what I've been doing early in the morning since Sailor was a baby. I've been getting up early and writing in my journal and lighting candles and going for walks like that's my prayer practice. <laughs> Right. It's just now I'm able to name it. I don't feel I, I, I feel like I see the connections in a way I literally cannot believe I didn't see this before. I can't see how I was turning away from something when it was all just right here. So it makes me laugh. It makes me feel human. Right. Humility. It makes me feel connected. It makes me smile. It makes me feel glorious to bring all of these parts home to get clearer and clearer about what we are doing here and how we, once we hit this stage of life, this interesting middle age stage, how we can start to weave together all the pieces and parts of our past. And this brings me to the next topic, which is marriage. And so many of you have reached out this year around the difficulties in marriage. And we have also experienced it for sure. Um, I watched the Marion Woodman documentary a few years ago on sacred marriage. Um, uh, Dancing in the Flames is what it's called. And I watched it again this year twice because this was the year when a version of our marriage had to die in order for a new version of our marriage to be born. And she says that in the film Something has to die in order for something to be born, right? And that's the life cycle that we talk about in Jewish tradition, Hebrew calendar, and Ayurveda, and earth-based rituals and practices like birth, death, rebirth, birth, death, rebirth. And so there were so many raw points of this year in our marriage where I, there was this point at the end of the summer where it was basically like, I, I just said like, this is who I am. And Mel said, this is who I am. And there was this sacred pause. And it felt like that was the moment it could have gone either way. And then all of a sudden, there was just like a softening and a tenderness. And both of us wholeheartedly said, okay, like, okay, that's who you are. Like that part of you, Pleasance, is never going to change. That part of you, Mel, is never going to change and I accept you as you are. And oh man, we have such a new marriage that has been born since that darkness, since that dark time at the end of the summer. And so I want to say to those of you who are in cycles of relationship that are feeling difficult to go in, to listen, to get help and support. I did it with a therapist. I did it with 
um, four, I have like four super solid support women who basically hold me like in each season, in each stage. Um, I have four women who surround me at the deepest levels, who see me at the deepest levels and who I've gone to this year repeatedly for ridiculously hard things. Um, and, and for different reasons, but like it's that core four that have me right now. And so I used them a lot during that time um, and received their wisdom and knowledge and cried to them. And, um, and now I'm learning how to have Mel in that circle too. Like Mel and I are rebirthing a new version of our marriage that we've never had before. One with a almost 13 year old and an almost 10 year old. Um, we're doing it at this stage of our career in our life, at this stage of our non-negotiables, at this stage of our parenting journey, our marriage journey and our being children, um, like, you know, our own parents. Um, and it is incredible. So if any, if this speaks to anyone, I'm happy to talk more about that path. All right. So books that had the biggest impact on me this year, I literally did not look at my bookshelves. I just asked myself, what do you remember the most? And so as most of you know, I'm an avid reader and audible and podcast. So I don't even know how many books and, and books I listened to and read. Um, but the three that came up were The Book of Longing by Sue Monk Kidd. Um, that one I had dreams about all summer and really connected me to all the parts of myself. And I believe lots of women. Um, it didn't start with me um, about intergenerational trauma. Um, again, could do a whole podcast, could do a whole series around how powerful that book has been in my all my life, in all the relationships in my life. And all of the prayer books from Pixie Lighthorse. So she has, I think, three or four. And I would say they have been pure joy and essence to my soul. Um, the last series of books, there's two that come up that actually have to do with Kohenet, which is their Sidor, their prayer book, and then the Hebrew priestess, which is like the sort of parallel to it. Um, and so I just like those were and continue to be as powerful and impactful in my life, but, um, we're specifically around sort of that Jewish lens. So, all right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of this um, experience ongoing. Obviously there's lots more follow-up, um, in the, in 2020, I'm looking towards kind of our themes for 2020 as a community. Um, you know, I started looking at my calendar for the summer, started dreaming, envisioning. Um, I think of this stage of, of planning as pen, not, uh, sorry, pencil, not pen. So I'm just writing down in pencil, all over the kind of calendars on the back of them. Like, what do I want? What do I think might happen? What am I most excited about? Um, definitely Sailor's Bat Mitzvah in May is gonna be, I mean, uh, I'm just overjoyed. I'm just so proud um, of her as a human being. She is an incredible human being who I've really, really been able to get to know this year. She is something very magical. Um, and other themes of 2021 that I want to keep developing here with you on the podcast and in our community are more about our archetypes, like more about how we're stepping into our archetype and how we do that through initiation, right? How we do that through the initiation of, of mothering children to mothering teenagers. Like that's an example of one initiation I am going through. Um, lots more dream work. I tapped into dream work. It was so profound and deep and has been for the past six to nine months. I, I, it's almost overwhelming to talk about. So I'm going to keep up dream practice, dream circles, dreaming, dreaming, dreaming is feels so huge to this part of my this chapter of my life, ancestor work, more ancestor work, more healing of ancestors, more inviting them, um, lots more there, more grief work, working with grief as part of initiation, as part of dreaming, as part of life, uh, grief ritual and grief as those tears and naps that I was talking about earlier. I'm super interested in elderhood and what it means to be a good elder as I move into the elder stage of life and become that to so many of my college students moving into this spring. I will have 
80 students that I'll be working with. So I am an elder in many ways to them and excited about that archetypal role. All right. In every phase of this year, this same quote came up. And it came up in multiple times, in multiple ways. But as I was reflecting on the year and how to close this podcast, um, it immediately came into my head because, like I said, it came up in all these different ways, in all these different circles, in all these words on the page and podcasts and readings and reflections. And so this quote is the last is the closing for this reflection of 2020. And I'm wishing us all a very beautiful transition into the year ahead. I'm wishing us all peace and calm in our soul, clarity. I'm wishing us tears and naps. I'm wishing us the capacity to feel and receive love, which is my intention for next year. Um, I'm really good at giving love and being generous. And I'm going to keep working with embodied receiving, embodied receiving, receiving compliments, receiving love from my husband, receiving support from those around me, but not just in the head, but in the heart, in the mind, in the body, you know, not minds like external mind, but minds like the wholeness, like what does receiving feel like in, in all ways? So um, letting love in, letting love in. So here's the phrase that came up every, the phrase that came up every phase. <laughs> all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. The optimistic, Optimistic Wisdom of Mother Julian of Norwich. This fire is the power of love and forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of love and forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of love and forgiveness. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and this fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is the power of kindness and gratitude. This fire is